animal marriage is a crime? Actually, can you get married to an animal? Is that a crime? Or is just bestiality the crime? I think several people have gotten married to animals, haven't they? Really? Yeah, in, in the States, I'm pretty sure people have married their horses or married that's, their cows or some shit. It's like a really bad priest who lets that happen. Admittedly, I mean, my source for this is Jerry Springer. So Right, that well-known font of truth. And, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how accurate it is, but <laughs> I, I certainly remember someone who married their horse on Jerry Springer. Well, I mean, they didn't marry it on Jerry Springer. I mean... I, on his show? Not even on his show. No? The, the marriage occurred elsewhere. Oh, and then he came on and went, I married my horse. Yeah. Okay. I started off implying that the marriage actually occurred physically on Jerry Springer. Yeah. And then we moved away from that. Yeah. Because I don't think Jerry Springer would fit both horse and bride. Well, no, husband, obviously, because oh, it's animal husbandry, isn't husband, it? Husband, sorry. Duh, I was having a moment. I was thinking of <laughs> Catherine. Ah, yes, My Little Pony. Lol. Do you know, I think we've got more than enough bumper material already. Shall we begin? Yeah, go on then. <laughs> <laughs> And welcome to World One Stage. You went one. really quiet. What? You were really quiet when you said that. <laughs> I, I was talking with my indoor voice. I don't have one. <laughs> Sorry. I'm <laughs> Simon. Oh, you should really. That was a. Welcome to World One Stage One, because Simon never got it out. He's Simon. I'm Troy. And we're here this week to talk about Star Trek games, which is kind of a broad spectrum. On purpose, though, because, well, why? Because you suggested it. That's true. I will apologise to our listeners in advance. I've, I've not slept. I'm a little bit frazzled after a million years at work. But I do really want to do this show. So you're going to get spaced out Troy. Which is always fun. And the general idea is we're going to give a little overview of our recollections of our favourite Star Trek games over the years. And sort of throw the doors wide open for suggestions for which games you'd like to see covered in more detail in future shows. Mm -hmm. Or indeed which sub-franchises. Because that's where it starts getting finickety, for want of a better word. Yep, but first, there were a couple of things we wanted to touch upon before we get into the meat and uh, veg of it. (laughs) (laughs) That's not even a saying. No, you're trying to bring it... Are you bringing it back, or are you just, like, establishing it? I think I'm establishing it. Okay, the meat and veg. The meat and veg. What is the meat and veg? Well, the meat and veg of the show will be the Star Trek games, but before that... Ah, yes. We have an entree. Do we? Yes, well, it's been... It's been a a very busy week in terms of feedback from our listeners, because after the Dark Forces show, which I think universally has been agreed to be a little bit loose... Um, Loose is a, a kind word. Yeah, it was uh, proposed to me that perhaps World 1 Stage 1 was a little bit more off-topic uh, than we might like it to be. And I went to the Simply Syndicated forums, and I put this to our listeners. And it's been a really, really interesting experiment, because they've come out in droves and told us what they think, and it's been great. It's been really interesting. Um, 
I you know, could have particularly wanted to say thank you to the guys who've given us criticism. Mm. Because I've never actually seen a forum where criticism is intelligent, insightful, and still with that air of... But th- th- these are reasons why we enjoy the show as well. Mm. And as, it is constructive criticism. Which has been really helpful. And that's what we need to improve the show. So keep that coming, guys. Yeah. Generally, the, the, the overwhelming majority of people have just kind of gone, you guys are nuts, keep on doing that. But there's there's definitely a growing number of people that, nah, talk about games sometimes. <laughs> well, it's always nice to have people tell you that what you do is good. Yeah. But it's also great to have people tell you how to be better. What they enjoy about what you're doing. Yeah. Which means we can give you more of it. And also we've had our, our weekly letter from Eddie... Now, I've been primed for this, <laughs> so... Subject, <laughs> message for you, Commander. Patching it through. So, Mass Effect 2, opinions, and who did you get with? Remember, the correct answer is Miranda. <laughs> <laughs> we can come from all over space. Humans have... They've got population centres all over. All the planets they've visited... Why is she from there? Where's there, Troy? Australia. <laughs> this is just setting me up to sound like a complete and total xenophobe. Only when it comes to Australians. Yeah. Though. Yeah, it's it's my, it's my... What is it? Racial modifier. Where we have listeners and, and all of that. I know. I've spoken to a couple of them as well. And they're nice. Uh, what's his name? I wanted to give him a shout out. Jack Crow. Found me on on Skype of all things and me, yeah, yeah, and he was he was lovely, and so was Eddie. Eddie, is, Eddie, these are guys who stand out as shining paragons of Australian virtue. Is but Eddie Australian? Eddie is he not? Is he not I'm Australian? I'm pretty sure he's English. Sorry, Eddie. Keep being English. I think. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> let's carry on with the rest of the letter then. Well, suffice to say, who did you get with, Tali? Yeah. Yeah, because I've not actually finished Mass Effect 2 myself. Uh, Reason being, my Xbox died, and I'm a lazy smeghead, so I've not gotten around to getting it fixed or replaced. But, I I touched on this with Simon, the only reason that there are... Who's that little... Your message girl, Yeoman Rand. Oh, yeah, her. Yeah, to make a Star Trek reference in this show, (laughs) Yeoman Rand. So the chick who follows you around and goes, yep. I have something important to tell you. Well, she's not a romance option. She's just a sort of hot rub down and d- dance option. Is she not? A, I thought she was a romance option. Uh, it's, not quite, it's not romance as in the same as the other characters where you form an actual relationship. Oh, okay. Um, well, that she'll feed you fish and do a strip tease for you. Cool. Okay. But it's Miranda and Jacob are the, the human yeah. options. I thought Jack was an option as well. Oh, yeah, but she's biotic uh, to the point that... Is she still human? Uh, yeah. She's not that mundane, run-of-the-mill, generic character True. option. But she looks human. Yeah. Mostly. Which is my kind of my whole point with... Dude, Tali? Because when... Like, the whole case of why did Miranda have to be Australian? <laughs> when you've got the entire universe, all these weird alien creatures that... Let's be fair, in our lifetime, we're never going to get the chance to deal with when you have a romance option with some... Her head is square. That's all I can say about Miranda's character model. She's got a square (laughs) head. 
And, dude, dadass, I think Tali's always going to be the correct answer. Absolutely. I mean, you, you know me well enough to know that I will normally play female characters in this mm-hmm. sort of game. And indeed I did, up until I realised Tali was a romance option for the guys. Uh-huh. At which point I scrapped my Femme Shepherd playthrough <laughs> and started over as a guy just to romance Tali. Dude, Femme Shepherd playthrough though. Garrus? Not true. Although if you're playing Guy Garrus, then the bro TP of that whole... <laughs> Man, I, I've never actually gone into it, but I have a sudden hankering to read some Garrus Shepherd slash. What is that about? Leon. <laughs> Next part of the... Where do you think Mass Effect 3 is headed? Well, you've not seen the ending of Mass Effect 2, have you, Troy? I don't know. Uh, So all I'm going to say is, War were declared. Well, to be honest, having seen uh, Mass Effect 1 and then Mass Effect 2, can we really predict that much? Yeah. Okay, cool. Okay. Um, Believe me, yes. Uh, The ending of Mass Effect 2 is pretty damn clear on what's happening next. Hell of an ending. Okay. Uh, But what I do know from the devs, interestingly, is that the save game will carry through all the decisions from both of the previous games. Which is an intense number of decisions. Yeah, it's in the hundreds, so it's going to be very much your universe by the time you get there. Which is awesome. Absolutely. And an incredible way of ensuring continuing sales of Mass Effect 1. And where I hope it's not heading is further into the chest high walls shooter territory. Mm. Because Mass Effect 2 did dumb it down a bit. Yeah. It's... I think it started as a PC game with a console release, and then Mass Effect 2 was a console game they with a PC suddenly. release. Yeah. Uh, so I think it might head more in the console direction, which would be slightly sad for a Bioware game, but it's still going to have a great story. Yeah. Also, I'm sending this from my new iPod Touch 4G, writes Eddie. What do you think of iPod Touches, iPhones, and their gaming credentials? I think I should probably field this one. Actually, I, I do have... As far as iPhones, I couldn't really say, but the iPad is very impressive. Mm. From the position of the the Mac layman, it looks like there's a huge amount of very specialist gaming. Games, you know, world-building games. Oh, hugely. Board games. Um, Board games on the iPad are incredible. I mean, Mm. I've played Carcassonne and Small World on the iPad, and they just translate so beautifully. Mm. But if you go back to our um, Great Moments in Gaming History over the last year episode, I specifically brought up the iPod Touch as a significant moment in gaming history in that year because it's incredible. I'm looking at the Mirror's Edge revival on the iPhone, Cannabalt on the iPhone. Yay, Cannabalt. Just this year, we've seen the Rage engine, the brand new id engine, and Unreal Engine 3, the one that runs Gears of War, running Mm -hmm. on an iPhone. That's fairly spectacular, really. Uh, Mass Effect, of course, had a um, sort of in-between game covering... Uh, the events between Mass Effect 1 and 2 on the iPhone. I didn't know that. There's a hell of a lot happening there. It's a big, growing market, and there are more units of the iPhone on, well, iOS in the uh, in the market than there are um, DSs and PSPs combined. Wow. So there's a reason companies like Electronic Arts have jumped all over I've just got holy shit, guys. Yeah, so I think that's a, a big and growing market. Finally, everyone do your best gaming impression. Also, your best TF2 impression. I, I imagine in more than one case that'll be the same thing. Best gaming impression? Yeah. You're going to have to prime me for this. Do I do any particularly good game? Well, I don't know, but mine is uh, Gordon Freeman. 
That's stunning. Utterly compelling, I know. I... <laughs> I'm trying so hard for the, the radio face. Here we go. Let's, let's keep this rolling, but there's only so long I can maintain. <laughs> if fighting is sure to bring victory, then you must fight! Sun Tzu said that, and I'd say you know a little more about fighting than you do, pal, because he invented it. And then he perfected it so that no living man could best him in the ring of honor. That's pretty good. I have no good TF2 impressions. Yeah, you do. Do I? <laughs> yeah, okay, I suppose I do. <laughs> That's my TF2 impression. Danke, Doomkopf. Over and out. Thank you very much, Eddie. Eddie's mail's always so robust. They're always fun. <laughs> they have become a regular part of the show. It's great. He's, he's our foreign correspondent. He's not but foreign. He's English. <laughs> <laughs> right. He's our non-foreign correspondent. He's he's our... Well, I suppose he's our... Well, it doesn't matter. I can't... You're our foreign correspondent. Oh, yeah. Actually, there's another brief thing we should uh, touch on with, like, uh, housekeeping. Okay. Of, uh, well, foreign correspondent is what prompts the comment. So, basically, uh, we've come to the realization recently in World One Stage One that getting three people... Oh, yeah, Jack's not here. people, yeah. Yes. In a room that you'd forgotten to mention. <laughs> three people in a room is really difficult. Um, well, Jack it's is... not. It's getting you and Jack in a room. There we go. Despite the fact you live together, getting you in the same place at the same time is nigh on impossible. That's right. Which is why we're basically planning on kind of switching up the motif a little bit. Uh, Jack, Simon, and I will still be the... Core. The core. You know, the the three amigos. The, the original trilogy, <laughs> if you will. But at the same time, we've had a lot of success and positive feedback for bringing Zoe in. Mm-hmm. And we have other friends who are into gaming as well. Yep. The two-man shows happen often enough that we've kind of gotten around the whole, oh, we need to fill some space with someone talking. Yeah. But, you know, we have other mates who are into games. We have solutions, basically, to ensure. ever since we started the three-man dynamic, I've really liked the three-person um, structure of a show. Mm. I really like having different people to bounce ideas off of. And I think it works better than a duo. So This is true. Where possible, we will have three people on a show, but it might not be the three you're used to. Oh, my God. New people entering the fray. We, we totally need to set up, like, a a BBC-styled section on the, on the World 1 stage one of just other crew. <laughs> I really want to get Sabina involved, but she won't, will she? I can actually think of... If we did Girls of Gaming episode, I'm still so up for that mm. because I really want to get you know, our respective girlfriends in a room and get them to smash the stereotypes. Although as hard as that might be, I think it might be easier to get Zoe and Sabina in on a Dragon Age episode. Yeah. Because Zoe's played a shit ton more Dragon Age than me. Yeah. And they would totally fluff all over Alistair for a while. Hmm. And I would be quite happy to sit back and be the engineer for that episode. Just sound <laughs> engineer and let them go. Cool. So anyway, we shall see what happens. But for now, shall we talk about Star Trek games? Let's. Because I think Simply Syndicated is a network which, let's be fair, we're all fairly big Trekkies. 
uh, don't know about all, but well, that, there's a large number of us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to kind of nutshell nutshell pigeonhole everybody, <laughs> all of our listeners. Well, one but, of the big flagship shows, one of the big gateway shows on the network is Make It So, and Starbase. Star then we guess? also have Starbase sixty six, which yeah. is we have two sci fi podcasts, one Star Trek and the other Star Trek and everything else. But then other shows, movies you should see, yep. you know, super happy fun times. They've mentioned Star Trek before, haven't they? I'm sure. Well, any show that Rich is on there we will go. have mentioned Star Trek, and seeing as he's on most of the shows. <laughs> <laughs> so this was one that kind of appealed to me mostly because it's got such a broad appeal. And it appealed to me because I'm an enormous Star Trek fan. And there are so many good Star Trek games. And going through the list, it's scary how many of them I've played. Yeah. So And the bad ones. Oh, there are some awful Star Trek games. I've it's played the them too. Star, Tre- uh, Star Wars games. Um, you know, you've got your gems because they produce so many. Yeah. You swing enough, <laughs> you're going to hit a few ringers. What? Hit a, hit a ringer. It's... An Americanism for No, a, really... a ringer is a professional person brought into an amateur team. No? What am I talking... You, you throw enough shit at the wall and something's going to stick. There we go. <laughs> I wish I'd get cursing in there as well. That's a Troy we all know and love. Excellent. Right. Do you want to kick off then? Because you've by far played the oldest Star Trek game ever conceived. Yeah, okay. I... This dredged up out of my memory when we started talking about Star Trek games, but back on the Sinclair ZX-81, I played <laughs> Star Trek, which was a game that represented, graphically, the Starship Enterprise with a capital letter E. Capital, and, because it was important. Absolutely. And Klingon vessels with a capital letter K. <laughs> and then there were dots, and they were stars, and then there were big capital letter O's, those are like really big phenomena. With a, hang on, O represented all phenomena. It was something big, like black holes or some shit. Because dot was a star. Okay, it was bigger than a dot. Oh right, right, right. So it was yeah. significant. Absolutely. Okay. And then you had uh, the asterisk was a photon torpedo that would move away from your ship in a one of eight straight lines, directly diagonal or up or down or left or right. And then you had the hyphen or the pipe symbol, which is the big vertical line for people who don't program. I can't think what else, what other use the pipe has. Uh, Or the backslash and the forward slash, which worked on the diagonals, and those were phases. And you moved around the playing field and you tried to shoot the Ks with your E. Now, I've got to admit, as... as ridiculous and old school as that sounds, (laughs) it actually sounds like a really... Fun game for the time. No, it still. really was. I mean, I don't know about now. I haven't played it in a while. But... I don't know, just a little thing like on a phone or mm. up your nose. <laughs> it sounds like the sort of thing you can get a lot of entertainment out of. Still, I do know that. Well, some people do because I think it was the basis of NetTrek. What's that one? Uh, it's pretty much the same game, but played over a network. It's like um, a mud or a mush, uh-huh. but for Star Trek. Sweet. Uh, and. What I do remember about that game is that it was in BASIC. Mm -hmm. So, you know, anyone could write their code out and edit it in any way you wanted. But the code listing was printed in uh, one of the sort of big compilations of here's the code listings for loads of games you can write yourself at home Mm -hmm. on your BASIC main computer. 
And because it had the Star Trek game listing in it, the book that contained that listing became the first ever computer-related text to sell, was it 110 or 100 million? It was some big... Wow! It was some big landmark number. So, let's be fair, Star Trek at the time appealed to most programmers. Yep. Wow, that is <laughs> that's quite significant. That's actually... Really is. Yeah. But then we move rapidly on to better games. Because, I mean, it was fun, but it was... Primitive isn't even sufficient a word. I don't know. I, I think anyone could look back at that and kind of go, there we go. First bold steps. And that was uh, that was released before I was born. Wow. Of course, because you still had the total horn for old school programming at the time. Oh, yeah. And it wasn't that long before I was born. And also I had a ZX81. Mm-hmm. So I could only run basic, basic software. Cool. And then there's a whole slew of Star Trek games I never had any connection to, like Apple Trek, Atari Trek, and things like that. Let's just roll on up the list, because just, just scroll, man. Just go. All right. We're going we're gonna to find something eventually that we've, we've played or remember. Well, let's jump straight to the 25th anniversary adventure game. No, I... Which one was that? The one that was called Star Trek 25th Anniversary. I never played it. Ah. Well, it's the first big one I recall that contained... Uh, it was... You know, the cast were all there. I say cast, it was text-based when it first came out. Although I think there was a CD version. Yes, it was voiced. Um, and had the original cast voicing. No. Uh, voices. There we go. That's the word. Um, to be fair, for a 21st anniversary game, fully voiced, mm-hmm. that's... What? Early 80s? Uh, it no, was... 66. 89, wouldn't it? Uh, 92. 92. Oh. So it was the 25th anniversary of the conclusion of Star Trek rather than okay. the beginning of Star Trek. And it was... I mean, that's why I remember it, is it was the whole cast back again yeah. redoing their performances. It was a point-and-click adventure in the kind of graphics you would have expected of 1992. Mm-hmm. But thoroughly entertaining. It was... It was a, a Star Trek adventure of the classic mold. Awesome. I can't remember the exact plot. I do remember various characters sort of made um, reprised roles, like Harry Mudd was there. and Yay. And, of course, you know, the neutral zone got involved. and Don't cross the neutral zone. Oh, we're going to have to cross the neutral zone. In fact, yes. No, I remember this now. In fact, the game itself was set up as a series of episodes. Really? Unlike now where you get episodic content, which is the developer's way of saying we're going to trickle out a little bit here and there. Yeah. It was a series of episodes all on one disc. Oh, cool. It was just Star Trek was an episodic show, so here's half a dozen episodes. That's really nifty. Which is a a neat idea. Is there anything on there about the the writing team? Was it... Official, or was it just uh, a license in a way? That's a really good question. I'll have a look. Yes, according to the credits, uh, well, Michael Stackpole is certainly listed in a design role, and he definitely wrote for Star Trek. So it looks like they had some of the Star Trek writers on the design team. I can only imagine that means writing episodes. Well, I suppose design of a game at the time, writing wasn't what they actually considered a, a significant portion. That's true. That didn't come in until later. Yeah. But I suppose on adventure games, it always should have been. I don't know. You're designing the game? Yeah, well, fair enough. 
but the original series crew involved in the game as well. So you, I suppose it's kind of a second line canon in a way. In a way, yeah. Well, all video games are somewhere there in a sort of memory beta sense, aren't they? Mm. Cool. Memory beta for listeners who aren't aware is a wiki. There are two main Star Trek wikis, memory alpha for anything that's in the shows or the movies that is definite canon and memory beta for anything from novels, comics and video games, which is second line canon. So yeah, the 25th anniversary came out and sort of re-kick-started Star Trek gaming, I think. Yeah. Uh, that was when Interplay got the license uh... and started doing different adventure games, including Judgment Rights, which came out the next year, which was another full, you know, the original crew back for a very Star Trek, the original series mm-hmm. kind of a story, which was great fun. <laughs> And Judgment that's right. Cool. I'm going to have to look. I didn't know about those two games. I'm going to have to look them up. Oh, they're fantastic. And then don't think they're hard to get hold of either. I think Judgment Rights was episodic again. I can't remember on that one. But I think it was the same kind of concept. Yeah. It was either sort of a very structured story or episodes. They knew what had worked and went, no, that was really cool. Mm. Awesome. And I think it was around about then that Paramount sort of went, hmm. People are buying Star Trek games and started parceling out the license. Because mm. this is an interesting thing about how Star Trek games have worked in the past, is very few developers have had the license to use more than a single era at once. Which is always really weird. Mm. It's led to some strange things in it games. It has, and thank God some of them have had the right to use more. Yeah. But a lot of games are TNG only, and only allowed to use things from the TNG era. Yep. And therefore, their storyline will carefully skirt around DS9 existing and things like that. <laughs> We're travelling away from the Bajoran wormhole because there's nothing happening there. No, no, nothing, nothing at all. These Romulans are much more scary. So, um, Spectrum Holobyte Microprose got the go. rights to do one of the, the first game you really wanted to talk about yep. in some depth. Uh, Star Trek TNG, A Final Unity. Because, of course, Interplay had the original series rights, so they gave someone else the TNG adventure game rights. Mm -hmm. And along came Final Unity. Spectrum Holobyte came up in a fairly recent show. Now, what was that about? What did Spectrum Holobyte become? Because I know they are still kicking around in some way, aren't they? Uh, They were acquired by Hasbro some years back. That doesn't bode well. (laughs) Uh, quite what they're doing these days, I don't know. But they were the first to bring Tetris out of the Soviet Union. There we go. That was, yeah. Which is uh, definitely where we were bringing them up. And also they acquired Microprose, who are a great yep, another great classic developer. Classic. But so, Final yeah. Unity, I think for me, was definitely what the 25th anniversary uh, point-and-click adventure hmm. was. Because it was... It was so good. It was all of the cast. It was such a proper TNG story. Mm. It it opens with a vessel screaming out of the neutral zone, its engines failing, and a Romulan warbird behind it. Captain, what do you do? It's such... It's written with such great role-playing game pedigree to it you can see the gm influence going (laughs) (laughs) and one of the things i loved about it was the the camera work in inverted commas 
Yeah. You know, a lot of the bridge stuff was represented from the front of ship camera point mm. of view that we're familiar with from the TV series or over Worf's shoulder at tactical to give that overview showing the view screen. Mm-hmm. But they were all camera positions from the TV show, as I recall. Yep. And then on the away team, you had the more panned out overview that you're familiar with with point and click games. I remember it was also one of the games which really started uh, getting me into um, you know, point and click games. It was Final Unity I played before um, Day of the Tentacle, Sam and Max. It was an introduction to a new genre. Hmm. And what worked about it so well for me was that it just felt pure Star Trek all the way through. The ship combat was right. You know, it was a game which introduced power level management. Yeah. You could, oh, you could turn off life support. Yep, which was a good idea because you don't need it constantly. Yeah. You've got an hour's worth of air on board the ship. Why not take that power and chuck it into the shields? Yeah. If, if you've not either won the battle or died horribly in an hour, life support's not going to matter. Yeah. It's, it's not going to be the top of your concerns. And it was, it was a game which... Oh, I could I could do a show on fucking. It was great. Final Unity, wonderful. And it wasn't just the gameplay; the storyline was exceptional. It was awesome. If you've ever wondered about the the sudden appearance of subspace ruptures and the speed limits imposed on Federation ships in the TV series, this is the storyline about that. This is where that all comes from, and. I've always felt, and I've talked to other people who played this game, and they sort of agree with me, is watching TNG having played this, you sort of feel like you're in some kind of, not exclusive club, but you're aware of something going on behind the scenes. You know that little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like playing the um, Enter the Matrix video game that ties together the Matrix and Matrix Reloaded. You know that little bit more about the tie together between the two films. What's happening there? You've got a little bit of insight that most people don't have. Final Unity was the same way for me. Mm. And I always really enjoyed that about it. (laughs) And graphically, it was exceptional. For the the time, it was amazing. Uh, I believe it was award-winning. I know it required certain hardware levels to kick out the 3D graphics Mm -hmm. that came in. It had very simple polygonal models of the bridge crew. Mm -hmm. But the texture you put on top of them was almost photoreal. Yeah. So they were incredibly compelling at the time. And the same went for the starships in the 3D combat. Oh, that was... That was what really kicked off for me. That was when it... It was adventure game, adventure game, adventure game. Holy crap, I'm flying the Enterprise. So... Yeah, um... It was also another fun one because you had access to everybody. Yeah. Everyone came down. And even though it was fully voiced, every single character in every away mission would give you unique insight to different things. Mm, true. So there was even, who was it? Lieutenant Shelby, who was the female character. And there was a guy as well. Basically, they were science officers, but they, they were red shirts, for lack of a better term, who gave the player someone to be. Yeah. But you always took, you know, your favourites from the show. <laughs> and it was, this only came up once, but there is a mission where you suddenly realise it's impossible to do an entire away team of female characters. 
but data technically counts. Do you remember that mission? Yes. Did you also take all three girls and data? Yes. Yep, which is the right way to do it. <laughs> yep. Um, and to find out more, you're going to have to play the game. And I thoroughly <laughs> recommend it because it still stands up. Um, story-wise, if nothing else, but I'd say as a game, all over it. Yep. Really does stand up. People are still playing Monkey Island. True. Why not? So, following on from that, we'll then get a couple of the, the great We've Got FMV, We're Going to Use It games. <sighs> uh, we, we did kind of denounce FMV from, from our <laughs> ivory <laughs> tower. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the Dark Forces episode... It did little except to establish, damn FMV, what the hell? Yep, and I'm going to stick with this and say these were not the greatest games in the world. Star Trek Borg and Star Trek Klingon. Although, I do love Star Trek Klingon. Yep. Not just because I love all things Klingon. Yeah, you do. I do. <laughs> but because it was an educational game. Right. Educational... More learning Klingon. Uh-huh. And about Klingon culture. Uh, that's kind of cool. Uh, the idea was, um, Klingons get a bad rap in Federation society. Right. Their reputation is not great. Uh, so Galron instituted an educational program and developed this holodeck simulation. And that's what you're playing when you play Star Trek Klingon. It's a cultural uh, awareness product from the Klingon Empire. Right. That puts you in the role of an aspiring KDF officer. So it's it's cultural anthropology 101. And all the um, the sort of... It's that interactive movie idea of what do you do at this point. Yeah. And all the decisions are based on either an understanding of Klingon culture. Uh-huh. Or you, if you do this, you might lose honor. If you do this, you might dishonor him, you know. Right. Uh, or responding to something being addressed to you in Klingon. So you have to start understanding basic tenets of the Klingon language. Holy shit, okay. And to help you, it came with some educational aids, including an audiobook of Power Klingon, narrated by what? Michael Dorn. What? <laughs> that is the single most wonderful collector's item bullshit I've ever heard. I know, isn't it good? <laughs> Where is the bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's quite counted as power, Klingon. I don't know. When you've got to go, <laughs> you will dishonor anyone in your way. <laughs> the next big game on the list to talk about probably is going to be Star Trek Generations. Because this is one of those troughs in the peak and trough of right? Star Trek video games. I'm, I'm going I'm to draw some flack here. I don't dislike Generations. No, no, no. The movie? I don't dislike it. Oh my god. You know, we're basically witches. I know. Okay. I know, I've, I've long had to live with this stigma. Okay. But the game is terrible, because it tried to mix adventure, first-person shooter, oh. and, and it tried to mix genres, and you ended up with the worst of both. Oh, sad times. And it was just so poorly done, which is a shame, because it was a microprose. That's a surprise. Yeah, you expect better of them. You get the feeling it was just rushed on them. It was, clearly. I okay. mean, it's a... Uh, and this is, I think, the problem. None of the games we've talked about as being really good Our have been tie-ins. direct tie-ins. Yep. And that's where it fell down, I think, trying to be a tie-in. Because let's face it, 
is the Star Trek universe not big enough that you can do a story independent of the ones that have already been told? But actually, to bring on that point, the movies that have been, sorry, the movies, the games that have been really bad are the ones that are trying to tie in. Yeah. The ones that we remember most fondly are the ones that have given us new Star Trek. Hmm. Which new stories, yeah. new adventures. It, it feels right when it when it clicks. It all just comes together. Absolutely. But damn, generations as a game, I can't even see that working in my. I I can't think how I would pitch that to a developer. And it was so bad. Okay. However, the next year came Star Trek: The Next Generation, Klingon Honor Guard. I'm which... gonna let you talk for a while. <laughs> I'm not going to talk for that long, but all I'm going to say is I don't think this one got widely played. It was somewhat under the radar because Microprose, again, not known for doing first-person shooters. Mm-hmm. That's not their thing. And the Klingon, Klingon-specific products tend to be lesser known than the big Star they Trek do, products. They do fall to the way. But it was a really fun game because, let's face it, is there any more direct combat-focused society in Star Trek than the Klingons. If you need to make a Star Trek shooter... Who who have you got that's better? Yeah. And just really fun. Again, if you like Klingon culture, which I really do, mm-hmm. it's very rich in it, and it's got some of the best uh, Klingon cast. J.G. Uh, Hertzler, who plays Martok in Deep Space Nine, is in there. Sweet. Not playing Martok, but he's in there. Yeah. As a Klingon. Um... Worf's brother Kern, he's in there. Oh, cool. You know, they've brought in a lot of the great Klingons from history. Specifically people that are going to be recognized by... Exactly. Uh, yeah. So it's a really good one to check out if you happen to be familiar with... Uh, if you happen to be fond of the subject matter. Mm. Followed by... Not one of the greatest Star Trek games in the same year. Uh, yeah, three products came out this year and I loved them all, but two of them are not. Great. You love them, but you know why they're rubbish. Yes. Star Trek The Game Show. No, I never played it, but I've heard tell of it. It's a wonderful... It's it, You can figure what it is in, if you've ever played an interactive quiz CD-ROM. Yep. And I say CD-ROM very specifically because it harkens to an era... An, an like, era of, oh my god, we've got all this extra space, what can we do we've with put it? A, we've put movie clips and sound clips for you to interact with on our quiz disc. Oh, guys. And the whole thing was hosted by Q. Yep. Because John Delancey is one suave-ass motherfucker. And his lovely assistant, who was just some yeoman he had conjured up out of thin air to spin the Wheel of Fortune style... Was she wearing the skirt? Yes, she was wearing the red skirt uniform. Fucking AQ. <laughs> and it was an interactive quiz CD about Star Trek. And it was great. See, simultaneously bollocks, but yay. Absolutely. That's, I think they knew exactly what they were making. And I've still got it somewhere. And oh, I keep meaning to dig it out. Dig it out. It's going to come up. It's gonna... Guys, on the forums, just post... Get that goddamn CD-ROM out <laughs> of wherever it is. And in the same year came Star Trek Starship Creator. Now, that I did see, and that was shite. It was great. Why was it great? Actually, it wasn't great, but there it we had go. the potential to be great, and it missed it. Because the idea of uh, Starship Creator was that you could... Within limit, you drew from the parts that had been used to make all sorts of different ships in the past, um, put together different combinations and create your own classes of Starfleet vessel. 
Mm-hmm. And then you could build their systems. For example, you could take a galaxy class, but you could sacrifice all the diplomatic quarters, all the scientific quarters, and put in more weapons. Mm-hmm. Now, the so you reason... got to play basically Utopia Planitia for a while. Yeah. And the reason it would have been great is the idea was you could export the ships into a file that would then be imported into the Dominion Wars game. Aha. So what you got was a Starship creator and nothing else happened. Well, no, because you got the Dominion Wars game. The two just didn't speak to each other. Marvellous. So it was a great idea that fell somewhat flat. However... We bounce immediately up to a big peak, and I think we're going to be talking for a little while on this one. Yep. Birth of the Federation. Right. Because we've, we've done the Civilization show, so let's do it again. Yep. Um, although it's more of a Masters of Orion type game it than is, it is Civilization, yeah. but it is definitely a 4E game. There's also, I think there's a little 4E. bit of kind of total war in it. In the, so. Well, it felt, and I'm going to, this is one of my bugbears with the game. And I, mm-hmm. I love it, and it feels almost kind of doing it a disservice by bringing this up first. But the fleet combat. Oh, yeah. Very, it felt tacked on. Mm. But it had that little element of kind of, they'd seen Total War, and they'd yeah. seen games like that. And try to bring that into, to make it not so Masters of Orion Civilization, to give it a little bit more sort of RTS to it. But it did feel tacked on. It did feel a little bit rushed. Which is why... Although Shogun Total War didn't actually come out until the year after. Really? Yeah. I, I so they hadn't seen it. Clearly, wow. it was just developed in parallel. The idea may have been kicking around... Yeah, for a while. Okay, well... But the it, reason... It didn't quite work. <laughs> yeah, the reason I w- had a blank expression when you said it's got a touch of Total War to it is I always skipped the fleet combat. So did I. So I'd completely forgotten it was there. Yeah. However... Auto-decide auto battle. Yes. You send enough Mirandas in there, it's not going to matter. No. If you ignore the fleet battle uh, mechanic, which was somewhat flawed, mm-hmm. what you had was a really good 4E game. Oh, the differences in the... Because it worked kind of... Uh, Civilization Five with the city-states, mm. very similarly how to... Uh, minor races. The minor races showed up. Allies and enemies of different things which you could bring mm-hmm. into your empire... And it was so good, because that was where the major differences in all of the... Because there was four factions you could play as. Yep, you could play as the Federation, who were very strong diplomatically, and had very strong shipbuilding. But their ships weren't focused. No. They had a lot of... You you had a, a broad spread of ships that were good at everything, but masters of none. Yep. Then you had the Klingons, who were very militaristic, extremely <laughs> good at planetary conquest. Yep. Ground combat became a big thing of yeah. actually taking planets, which was which was cool. The Romulans, who were extremely good at espionage, that's why I liked the differences between the um, the Romulans and the Cardassians, mm. because I felt that that was two that they could have made samey samey. Yes, but the the Cardassians were more sort of population control yep. and interior. <laughs> yes, because they were um, Obsidian Order. They were the totalitarian regime whereas the Romulans were espionage in foreign borders Mm -hmm. Uh, so they were they played very differently which was cool to see yes and like you say minor races all over the place which you could conquer trick or warm-heartedly greet into your empire 
as you expanded. And then you had the random events as well, which were great, except for two. Go on, which... You say one, and I'll say the other one. Crystalline Entity. Uh, Probe 361? Is that the right numbers? Peace through superior firepower. You mean the Borg attack? Nope. I mean, oh, you might not have come across this one. No, I might not have. It was it, it's a callback to an episode, and mm-hmm. I wish I could remember the the specific TNG episode. But it's yeah. a little golden probe, right? Which uh, is basically an advertisement, and you roll on up to it, and you either have the option straight away in the fleet combat option, yeah. flee, mm-hmm. and it won't pursue you. If you try and fight it, it will destroy your fleet. <laughs> that is that is it. I never played that one. It was always to me. It was crystalline entity or when the Borg turned up. And you just. It was always when you had what scared the shit out of me is when you saw the the barren worlds. Yeah, the worlds that had been completely stripped by the Borg. Yeah, and you hadn't found them. <laughs> and knew the they fuck were are those Borg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they're there somewhere. Yep. I think it. it the whole... Because it was a two-dimensional map. Yeah. But it didn't feel like it. No. There was just this amazing sense of freedom to it. Huge maps, all on a hex. <gasps> it was hex-based! It was. Sweet. And I loved that it, it really got in-depth with its references as well. Because so many of the minor races were references to episodes. Like, you found the Garden of Edo and the um, Guardian of Forever. Yeah. And things. And... The Edo Protector was always great, because that's another one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, was, it wouldn't do anything to you, but if you attacked it, it would wipe you out. Yep. <laughs> but that was, it was, I think that was what really made that game fun. Yeah. Was it, it again, it, there was no plot to it, but everything played so right that it felt Star Trek. It did, and you really could take the Federation from pretty much the launch of the Phoenix mm-hmm. through to... Did it get to Sovereign class? I think it did. I think, yeah. Sovereign Sovereign was the, the latest. But, dude, no. Miranda's everywhere. <laughs> wave after wave. Although, guess who I usually played as? The <laughs> Singing my tune. Oh, dude. But yeah, Birth of the Federation, I think, is still available. You can find places of it. It'll be sold online. Or you could probably try it secondhand. Oh, yeah, probably. It wouldn't retail for more than a fiver. Mm, still runs. Uh, it's eminently playable. It's Win95, wasn't it? It was. So it's compatible it's on most things. Not one of those games that has issues with Win95. Yeah. Like, there were a couple. Um, Borg, specifically, I know, didn't want to run on anything previous to Windows 95, so had a check and would only run on Windows 95. So when Windows 98 rolled around, it would stop running going, no, 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 you need Windows 95 to play this game. Like, but I've got better. Um, anyway, they, they'd worked out those kind of puzzles by yeah. then. Uh, yeah, because I think that's a, a safe released, recommendation. Yeah, being released after Windows 98 came out. Um, <laughs> it was a Windows 95 or above type of a requirement. Yeah. And then we move on, and we'll, we'll skip through and say there were some great games coming out at the same time, like Starfleet Command. But this is, Starfleet Command, funnily, is what really first sold um, Star Trek Online to me. Oh, all right. We, we, maybe we won't skip forward. Talk to us about Star Trek Command, because it is a great game, but there's, there's a lot potentially there to talk about. Well, I'll, I'll, 
it's kind of hard to, to gloss over, but I'll summarize. Star Trek Command, or Starfleet Command, sorry, is exactly what it sounds like. You command a vessel, and as the game progresses and you increase in rank, you are offered better vessels, and you get more people under your command. Hmm. That's kind of where the third game, I think it was, fell apart, because you didn't actually get anybody on your on your side. But there were great games. There were fleet combat, there were ship combat, they were power allocation. They were weapons arcs. They were micromanagement of a starship in battle. It was a tactical simulator. Oh, yeah. And not a strategy game, but a tactical simulator. And Very uh, specific. Of course, was it Starfleet Command 2 was uh, original series era, like kind of films era. And damn, that was good. <laughs> because it was, it was that kind of pre-Elkars interface that you remember from the Excelsior. Yeah, that that glowing blue everywhere, and ah, oh, it was good. It felt Star Trek. It looked Star Trek, and it was tactical simulation of starship combat, which I love. And yeah, I remember actually when Star Trek Online was rocking around and about to come out, and we were talking about it basically being a persistent online Starfleet command. Yeah, Starfleet command with an RPG system attached to it yeah. to you know persistently. Oh my god! <laughs> I loved that game. Now let me dress up my avatar. And whilst the tactical game was going on with Starfleet Command, around the same time, strategy gamers were going all over Armada. I never... Now I've played it, but admittedly, I never really got Armada. It just... It didn't... I don't know, there was something about it that felt very kind of... Because there were a lot of RTSs coming out at that time. Oh, hell yeah. And it really felt like a cash-in. To a degree. I mean, it was a, a it was a good game. It wasn't the kind of cash-in where we've rushed a generic True. RTS out. But if you were a fan of, say, Homeworld, yeah. which was an exceptionally good space RTS. And then played Armada. It wasn't going to hold up. No. But Which there, I think was my problem. There is something... I, I prefer Armada 2 to Armada because the license was more secure. Uh-huh. They started getting in... You know, I seem to remember there being better voice cast. More of the characters had turned up. Martok was there again. Borg <laughs> Queen turns up here and there. I think you've got Michael Dawn doing Worf as the, the defiant captain. Michael Dawn loves just showing up for stuff. He does. Well, he's... He permanently ruined his voice doing the voice of Worf uh, to the point that it dropped an octave and he can no longer speak at what used to be his speaking register. So he might as well play Worf as often <laughs> as possible. Yep. Because he's stuck sounding like that for life now. Oh, well. <laughs> Let's make some money out of it. And and he does. And there was also, um, around about the same time, Klingon Academy, which was basically... Starfleet Command for Klingons. Cool. Though, disappointingly, not quite as good. That is kind of disappointing, because actually, I think a good Starship uh, Starship Tactical Simulator, from the Klingon mm. perspective, I'd play that. Uh, Star Trek Online is the Klingon faction. It's great fun. Huh. <laughs> Need to make a Klingon character. Yeah, you do. Uh, you right. also had Deep Space Nine The Fallen coming out around that time. Sort of, uh, at this point... That's practically a return to sort of adventure gaming. Ah. Now, which was the Deep Space Nine game that came out on the Mega Drive? Oh, now you're asking. Hang on a second. Because I remember that actually being really good. On the Mega Drive? I know it's, it's specific, 
But it's one of those games I played where actually, I mean, none of the cast showed up for it. It wasn't, uh, there was no vocals because obviously you had to work within the constraints of the cartridge. But it was good. Was it Crossroads of Time? Possibly. That's, as far as I can tell, that's the only DS9 one that ever came out <laughs> on the Mega Drive. So it does sound familiar. That was fun. If you've got if you've got an emulator, or if you've still got a Mega Drive, go for it. Yep, there's a few uh, sort of Mega Drive SNES era um, Star Trek games actually. Were there any of them good though? I don't know. I didn't really play them because I was spoilt with a wealth of games on the PC. Cool. Yeah, you also at the same time had uh, Star Trek Voyager Elite Force. This is this is one I think where we're kind of reaching the end of the of timeline, so to speak, the retro but, classic timeline, yeah. certainly. Because uh, Voyager, of course, is the most recent Star Trek series. Yes, there hasn't been one since. No, in, in, in tragic I, uh, twist of it's fate. A, it's a shame that it's been so long. Man, we are we still witches? I don't know. I, I think Enterprise is pretty universally hated. I don't know. I know there are some who. Praise the fact, you know, there were suddenly moving cameras and stuff like that. <laughs> but I don't know. That's not even what bugged me about it. The fact. Let's that, not go into that because that could take a while. Yeah, that's true. Let's let's avoid why I dislike Enterprise because that that's not a separate episode. That's a separate podcast. That's a weekly show <laughs> dealing issue by issue, episode by episode. Why I dislike that show. To go off topic okay. briefly. A tangent. Oh my god. Thinking of thinking of stuff that should not be. Yep. Simon Pegg has gone on record as going, Fuck no Star Wars in 3D. What's wrong with you? <laughs> there I there know. was a specific quote, uh, which I wish I could remember, but it's basically him railing against uh, Phantom Menace, as anyone who's seen space will recall. Yep. Just the, just the things we hate. Simon yeah. Pegg still hates Star Wars. Yeah, although, credit to George Lucas, he's found a way to get everyone to buy those films again. Again. Yep. How many... I have I have it on VHS, and I don't have a VHS player anymore. I'm sad. But mm -hmm. I refuse to get them on DVD. Really? Really? Because I've paid for them already? I don't want to pay for the version where the... They've put the Stormtrooper donk sound effect in really, really obviously. I don't want to pay for the version where they've changed Boba Fett's voice so he sounds like Jango Fett, even though he is a Kiwi then. I don't want to pay for the Super Deluxe Ultimate Remastered Edition. Well, um, I've just got the classic trilogy on DVD. Okay. And you know what? I never bought them on VHS, so I've only bought them once. That's the thing. That's the thing. I don't want to be one of the guys that keeps giving George Lucas money, but mm. he's... How has he spent so long making money off the same fucking movies? <laughs> God! <laughs> George! Yeah. He's not had a fresh idea in all this time. No. And it, it bugs me so much that he's rich! Did we not rant about George Lucas enough in the Dark Forces episode? I think he still deserves some more. I'm Although gonna... I think I might have edited out the bit where I called him the greatest sellout of all time. Maybe. Well, I'll bring that in in this episode. He's the greatest sellout of all time. Yeah. 
God. Although I think I George. explained why in the last episode where... No, it doesn't need explanation, does it? It doesn't need explanation. No, everyone CG knows. CG gophers and the overtaking of Jump the Shark with Nuke the Fridge. <laughs> uh, check out Urban Dictionary or some such for a specific... Actually, no, it was a Wikipedia article. Nuke the Fridge. Go look it up. Yep. So anyway, Elite Force. Elite Force, yes. A uh, Voyager game. Possibly the only Voyager game, apart from Elite Force 2, obviously, uh, wherein it was an interesting setup. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they were stranded in the Delta Quadrant, far away from any support, uh, they set up something called the Hazard Team, under Tuvok's direction, mm-hmm. which was a team of multi-skilled, highly trained away team officers who could handle dangerous assignments. And, space SAS. Yeah, an Elite Force, as it were. Mm-hmm. And you are one of the members of this elite force. And one of the interesting things about the game was that it was a first-person shooter, mission-based. You would go on a series of missions. But in between times, you would be wandering the decks of Voyager. Huh. Rocking on to the elite force um, locker room to talk to the guys, go through your kit, prepare it for next time, go to your quarters, go to the mess hall, go to the holodeck. Um huh. Just to have a, you know, explore Voyager. It was really interesting in to have the, the ship's interior was there. And quite a lot of it, actually. Cool. And because it was a small team, it was one of... It's that era where it was becoming popular to have AI teammates along with yeah. you. And it was a small ensemble cast, so you got to really know them. It's like, I still very fondly remember Chell, the slightly cowardly but brilliant Bolian engineer. Bolians! I friggin' love Bolians. Bolians are awesome. From the very first Bolian, I think in Star Trek, and the first one I remember, Mott the Barber. Mr. Mott. Oh, I want to see Mr. Mott, the demon barber of fucking Fleet Street. <laughs> that would be awesome. Holodeck adventure in the making. Holodeck adventure in the making. Yeah, I'll admit, I, I've always kind of glossed over Elite Force and my kind of repertoire of what I've played with Star Trek because it was done with a Quake 3 engine, wasn't it? Yes, it was. And... Damn. I always got it. I, I had it in my head, I'll admit, this kind of prejudice against the Quake 3 games because there were so many of them. <laughs> once, and to be fair, once you'd played Wolfenstein, once you'd played Quake 3 Arena, once you'd played... Heavy Metal Quake, Fact 2. Yeah. Oh, don't. Once you'd played a Quake 3 shooter, you'd basically played them all. Yeah, essentially. So... To kind of to get that kind of perspective of actually explore Voyager, there was teammates. Mm. Were they voiced as well? Yep. Okay, I might actually have to go and look this they up. They brought in Kate Mulgrew to do her voice, and um, Tim Russ did Tuvok, and it, I think it was most of the cast. Mm-hmm. The big exception was that when the game first came out, they had I sound alike is the wrong word. She didn't sound anything like her. Oh. They had another actress portraying Seven. That seems like a mistake. Well, Jerry Ryan basically asked for too much money. Ah. Uh, they were like, this is a video game, love. We <laughs> don't have a huge movie budget for the actors. You're also not really doing a huge amount of work. Kate Mulgrew came in on a reduced salary and did everything in one take perfectly, like a consummate professional. Yep. You're asking for a fortune. We can do it without you. And so they did. And she basically climbed down off her high horse, and uh, the 1.1 patch included 
uh, Seven's dialogue as recorded by Jerry Ryan. Wow. Along with game fixes. <laughs> that is cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, One of my dude. favorite little touches. Um, it was also a game where you played Alex Monroe. Alex being very specifically a gender-neutral game. Uh, name. Name. Huh. I suppose you never see yourself either. Yep, because it's a first-person perspective. Huh. Cool. And it had little touches. Like, one of the things in all these shooters, of course, is you're carrying eight or nine different weapons. Where the fuck are you keeping them? The rigs. Yep, little rigs that were basically replicators and yeah. stored patterns of weapons, and you could demand... They were on demand. They would just replicate the weapon in your hands. Which is actually really clever. And fits perfectly in the Star Trek universe, and it's kind of like, why has this not come into the movies since? Yeah. Because Voyager got home. Why did why did Tuvok not go to Starfleet HQ and go, look, look at this thing we came up with? Really useful. Yeah. And then in First Contact or Nemesis, why aren't they running around with fucking weapon rigs? Yeah. See, that's why I'd really like to see the Starfleet Marine Corps yeah. actually show up. Rather than security ratings, if you want to do... Well, they did in Enterprise. They, I believe they also showed up in an episode, a single episode of DS9 off the top of my head, during the Borg invasion and the Borg scare. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe, and I, I might be totally wrong, but I recall seeing a guy with a green collar, dark green collar, walking the streets uh, with a phaser rifle. And it might just have been that he was the light court, uh, a, a science officer. Or a, yeah, it a could be, but... But I could have sworn there was mm. a guy in green. Fair enough. They need to show up more. Point they of do. fact. Yes, I, I'll agree with you completely. And this is definitely around the time where our timeline is coming to an end. With Armada 2, sequel to the RTS. And yep. Armada 2, much stronger than Armada 1. Got Starfleet Command 2 coming out around this time. Yep. And Deep Space Nine, The Dominion Wars. Was that any good? It was disappointing. I was oh. really looking forward to this one, if I'm honest. I thought this could be an incredibly compelling game. But it was... Uh, buggy. Ah. Buggy. Uh, and not just in the, the scripting engine that they'd used to do the missions was buggy. But the actual game code itself was buggy, so very often it would just delete your save game. Oh. Uh, <laughs> and I, I mean, often enough that it was almost expected. Yeah. That's... That's a problem. That That's a broken game. So... Uh, we, we've kind of left it on a trough there. I don't so know. let's let's What's, finish with a peak. How about because this is something that's just come up thinking about um, Starfleet Command as a game. Mm. Did you ever play Legacy? Ah, no, I didn't. But that is quite recent, isn't it? That Legacy's was only like four not, years ago. Yeah, um, Legacy's definitely not retro or classic. But I think mm. in a Star Trek game show, yeah, it deserves mention because Legacy was interesting. I enjoyed it. Mm. And this is not to say it was not without its faults, because yeah. it's kind of like, it is the spiritual successor to, mm. um, what's the word? Uh, Starfleet Command, sorry. And it is what we were talking about earlier. It was a game that was granted the license to work with all intellectual properties, wasn't it? All of them. Because it starts with Enterprise and goes through to And every single Voyager. captain provides their own voice. Yeah. Which was awesome. Which it, is kind of, it's the 
the principle of legacy. It wouldn't yeah. work if they didn't. It was it was definitely well, legacy worked really well, but to kind of to give it its dues, it was fun, but there wasn't much replayability to it because, mm. in a nutshell, it was well, it was Star Trek Online kind of styly ship combat, but yeah. without the RPG, it just it felt like there could have been a lot more to it. Now you see, they missed out for me on Legacy. I think one thing would have sold me on it and had me come in and buy it and play it. Yeah. And that's that it's not a complete rundown of all the captains. If they'd had missions with Rachel Garrett coming in and voicing the captain of... Well, sorry, Rachel Garrett is the character. With the actress coming in and playing Captain Rachel Garrett of the Enterprise C. There we go. I would have been so sold... Because she had one episode, she was brilliant. She was awesome. And she was never seen again. So if they'd had Trish O'Neill come in, reprise that role, that. I would have been all over that game. Tell you what, thinking of uh, captains who pop up once, mm-hmm. uh, Captain Harriman of the Enterprise B. Yeah. There is an excellent little comic, uh, Harrow, Captain's Log, or Harriman's Log. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is, it's a one-shot, which basically features uh, McCoy is drafted by Starfleet, and uh, plonked on the Enterprise B. And uh, there is a short little adventure, which, in my mind, completely... It it doesn't redeem Harriman's actions yeah. during Generations, but it makes him an incredibly compelling character. Hmm. He makes a lot more sense, and you kind of go, oh, dude, actually, yeah, I can totally see where you're coming from. Cool. Uh, and I think... Well, you know what I'm like. I have total Excelsior horn. <laughs> yes, you do. If they had have put the, the Enterprise B into Legacy, it would have been wonderful. But, yeah. And then, of course, to finish on, on a proper peak, the most recent Star Trek game, Star Trek Online. Yep. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. I think it's definitely a game which has potential. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of things which are still, I would say, wrong with it. But there are things which don't fit right for me things that could use improvement but the one Klingon of the nice faction I, I love the Klingon faction though it, but it, there's a lot of there is disparity and it, between it's fits. recently had a lot of uh, a lot of attention oh has it yes alright I'm gonna have to get my Klingon character going then it was as soon as I logged in and realised I could dress my character who is a long standing role play game character of mine uh, in something other than a Lursa and Bator style underbust push him up uh, and actually put her in sensible KDF armor. Uh, once I realized the costume options had become <laughs> sensible. And uh, got new ships, new missions. The Klingon faction has had a lot of work done on it lately. Cool. Now is the time to start a character there. Okay. But uh, let's face it, now is the time to actually get your character up to Admiral on the Federation side first. Well, now, really, <laughs> after season two, is the time to start playing. Yeah. Because, I mean, we've been in since beta. Yep. And uh, it's been a game which, kind of like Civilization series, has consistently gotten better with each big patch. And the devs are continuing to work on it, which is lovely. I love seeing an MMO that has consistent attention from yeah. its developers. I see a lot of griping on the forums, but that's true of any game. Oh, yeah. But actually, that's kind of what brought up the topic, the, the statement at the start of the show about you know our forums being really positive. Because, <laughs> wow, I just waded out of the internet covered in shit and went... Wait, wait, people are talking about us. Oh, they're being nice. 
But no, Star Trek Online, definitely. Now is the time to start playing. Mm. I think there's been a lot happening, and uh, it's definitely a game made by fans for fans. Oh, yeah. So, we've, we've obviously we've missed a few, we've glossed over a few. There's definitely been gaps in the list. There are games here we could do shows on. Could do whole shows on Armada, whole shows on Starfleet Command. Uh, but yeah, um, jump on the forums, talk to us about your Star Trek gaming experiences. Yeah, this is definitely one which has such a broad range of appeal. If you're into your empire building, your shooters, there's something here at some point you've probably enjoyed or would enjoy today. Yeah, because let's face it, if, if you can't find a game to love within the genres of strategy, tactical combat... Empire building, 4E gaming, first-person shooting, or point-and-click adventuring, you you're don't a, play computer games. You're a wrong thing. <laughs> but we can put you right. Yes. So yeah, um, go get Birth of the Federation, go find Final Unity somewhere, go get Elite Force. I really <laughs> want to play that now. Good. And on that note, we ought to sign off, because my laptop's on battery power and is about to run out. Okay, so... <laughs> Professionals! Hey, hey, I allowed enough battery to get to the end of the show. And and then some, but we've gone over. Okay, precision. <laughs> yes, so it's, it's kind of like a Formula One car sputtering to a halt just across the line. It means they put exactly the right amount of fuel in, and they are true professionals. I'll roll with that. So... I in- have been Troy... I was going to say something else, but okay. I'll say something else then. <laughs> so, after a... It, uh, never mind. I have been Simon. I'm still Troy. And this has been World 1 Stage 1. Good night. That was World 1 Stage 1. Visit our website at world1stage1.com Join our forum, send us an email. Or follow us on Twitter at W1S1. And, of course, our thanks go to Power Glove for our theme tune.